Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. All right, today's episode is very exciting to me because this is probably the thing I feel the most passionate about, and I think we are getting such crappy behavior from our kids because of this issue. Yeah, and so if we can fix it, we can fix that behavior, right? And this has to do with proprioception, vestibular movement, and risk-taking. So largely because of this onset rush of early academics and how we are pounding our little ones with the idea that they need to sit to learn and they need to you know, be writing at age three, we're making kids sit. We're making kids sit for way, way, way too much. We're not letting them play, right? And we're not letting them explore the world. So a couple of episodes, I did talk about like the three versions of crappy behavior, right? So if you haven't given that a listen, go ahead and do so. But for right now, I want you to take a minute before we discuss anything, okay? Take a minute. Imagine for a moment that you are brand new to this body. Okay, like however old you are, you might be 25, you might be 35, you might be 50 like me. I've been in this body 50 years. I know quite a lot about this body, right? Go back to when your body was only three years old. That is so freaking new, you guys. You're brand new, right? You've just discovered these limbs. Just two years ago, you didn't even know where your freaking hand was, okay? (laughs) You have legs that you've just mastered, and now you want to use them to run, to climb, to roll. You've gained mastery over your hands and your arms. You are no longer just flailing about trying to kill yourself, right? And then we have this awful thing happening which I have coined the term, the be careful culture. Every single person around you is telling you, be careful. No, don't watch it. No, 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 no. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Holy shit, you guys. (laughs) We have to chill. We have to let them explore the limits of their body. We have to let them assess risk. This is so vital. We have to let them assess risk. Risk. If you are the one constantly assessing the risk for your child, your child ends up not capable. And this is where we have this later in life. We've got 16 year olds who don't know how to do squat because we've done for them all the time. We've got kids going into college terrified of making a mistake because we've swept in and we've made sure they're super careful. They've never assessed risk. Right. And so they don't know how we go back to this notion. Right. I say it a lot in in my new book. Right. There is no magic age at which your child knows how to do something. Right. They will have to learn every skill. It's not like at eight years old, they suddenly know how to use a knife in the kitchen. No, they're going to have to learn how to use that knife. It's not like at 16 years old or 18 years old, your kid graduates high school and suddenly knows how to take risks, knows how to do all this adult things that we never taught, right? So as always, my work here is twofold. It's not just to help the behavior that you're you're seeing now in your kid, and we want to mitigate that. It's also about laying the groundwork for the future, We have to let kids make mistakes. And as a child in this under five age, that usually means physical, 
right? Because they are exploring this body. And when we watch a kid in the under five age, the joy, when we watch them dancing or spinning or at the playground or running with that utter freedom, right? That freedom of like, you know, you and I can't run like that because we might trip and get hurt. So we're, we have this caution, right? But these three and four-year-olds, man, they they fly like the wind because they don't even know they can get hurt. They have no idea, right? <laughs> so I am so super passionate about this. Let's talk a minute about proprioception and vestibular movement because it's so, so, so important. The technical definition is proprioception, it's the unconscious perception of movement and spatial orientation arising from stimuli within the body itself. I'm going to say that again, arising from stimuli within the body itself, meaning it's kind of natural, right? It just arises within the body. In humans, these stimuli are detected by nerves within the body itself, as well as by the semicircular canals of the inner ear. Okay, the vestibular system collects information critical for controlling movement and the reflexes that move various parts of our body to compensate for changes in body position. So that's kind of a big technical mouthful, right? What it means is proprioception is our perception of where our body is in space. The vestibular system provides the information for how we perceive our bodies moving through space. Even more simply put, it's how we move our bodies and how aware we are of that movement. And it has to do with everything. You know, if you think of watching a movie and you are putting popcorn to your mouth, right? You're watching the movie. Your eyes don't ever look down at the popcorn. You know roughly without even thinking about it, where that popcorn is in your lap, right? You put your hand in it and you get it to your mouth. You know where your mouth is. Your hand knows how to get it there, right? And we know that a under two-year-old is still learning that, right? We can see this develop in the first few years. Our kids go from these gorgeous little lumps in our arms that we're like gazing down at to discovering their hands, right? That's the funniest moment when they figure out, oh my God, what is this thing? And then they cry when it, you know, they flail and the hand disappears from their eyes and, and they freak out. Then the next stage, they start cruising and crawling and actually getting places, right? They're mobile. They're, they see something and they're gonna, they're gonna get away to get it. And if we think about all the myriad of crawls, right? That, that kids are so motivated to get that thing across the room. Then of course they start walking and they look like drunken sailors. And then all of a sudden, all of this stuff starts to click, right? Now, to be fair, 16 to 24 months, I always, I call it, you know, it's the year you don't sit down and it's pretty much active suicide, right? It's like these kids have no notion of they're at the top of the stairs. They have no notion of what this, you know, falling down the stairs means. So they just kind of throw themselves at life, throw themselves over cliffs, right? So it's that very crazy time that you have to just sort of, you can't sit down. You have to sort of chase them, right? And make them aware. So we can't be faulted for thinking that our toddlers are not skilled. Yeah, because there is this, there is this time frame where they're putting it all together and they're not very smart yet. So I understand that. But then there's this zone and this is the tricky zone, you guys. And I, I don't know if I've mentioned this in past episodes, but when I was writing my new book, I, I had this aha moment, which was, I think the biggest problem is 
two-year-olds are so different from three-year-olds. So it's the passage between two and three years old where everything changes, where your cute little stinking kid who's just so adorable and, and it's all, no, 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 it's all learning, right? As we pass into the three and four-year-old stage, that becomes habit. And if things aren't fixed, all of a sudden you've got these really bad habits, right? So there's a remarkable change that happens from two to three. And it really has to do with that individuation thing. So we have to, what do I want to say? We want to amp up our parenting. Things just have to change. It's not going to be the same. How you treat a two-year-old is just wildly different than how you're going to treat your three-year-old. And part of that is this risk-taking, right? So where you had to really watch them at this two-year-old stage, it's not that you don't have to watch them at three years old, but you do have to back off of the be careful. You do have to let them edge into risk assessment, which means risky behavior. What we now think is risky used to be just normal, okay? And so we have to pull ourselves back into this sort of old school notion just a little bit. So really four and five-year-olds used to use the stove. And now we think, oh my God, I can't have my four or five-year-old, you know, use the stove. Kindergartners regularly used to take themselves to school, you know, a school that was in quarter, half mile to a mile. Five-year-olds regularly could cross the street. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, I think you guys know me enough by now. I'm not like the good old days, but I do like to look at the past and think, what the hell happened? Like, how did we have these like super capable five-year-olds and now we we don't even have super capable 18-year-olds. And I love watching old movies too. Like, oh my God, what did Pascal and I watch the other day? Oh, Stand By Me, right? We were watching Stand By Me. We get these like 10, 11, 12-year-olds like smoking and cussing and that benign neglect that I was talking about in the last episode. And so it's really funny when we watch those old movies because, you know, of course, I don't want my 12-year-old smoking and getting into trouble. But what a difference, right? Stand By Me came out when I was... I don't even know when it was released, but I think I was, I think I was a teenager, right? And so that's not that long in one generation that things just totally got out of whack, right? So anyway, let's go back to the risky behavior and risk assessment because this is so tightly locked into proprioception and vestibular movement. Now, the basics of these are your, your old school, like running, climbing, jumping over things, jumping on things, rolling down hills, spinning, balance, right? Using balance boards and bikes, anything like a slack line, hopping on one foot. We see children, if we leave them alone, we see them naturally do this. And some of this, you know, we have terms now and people be like, oh, he's sensory seeking. He's always spinning. Yeah, he's sensory seeking. He's looking for input around him and what the world means and how his body is there. Now, certainly there's spinning that gets out of control, right? And and there is a sensory disorder tied to spinning to regulate emotions and things like that. But I'm talking about your just basic neurotypical. We need more of this. And so what's happening is, again, it's really linked to this rush of early academics. We have three-year-olds that people want to sit and learn. But this three-year-old, how can they sit and write their name if they don't know where their body is in time and space, if they haven't explored the limits of this body, right? So let's talk about a couple of other things that you can do to encourage proprioception and vestibular movement. Because I think another big thing that's happened, 
is that we've pulled away from like super engaging with our kids in a physical manner. So wheelbarrow, wheelbarrow and crab walk is excellent for core muscle building. One thing that's happening is penmanship has gone down the tube for our kids. And you'll hear everybody blame it on keyboarding. Everybody blame it on the fact that, you know, we're so computerized in technology. Yeah, fuck that. It's not just keyboarding, you guys. It's that we're not doing these things that build core muscles. You have to get your gross motor skills before you get your fine motor skills. And what's happening And I've talked to OTs. This is like a real thing. This isn't just my theory. I've talked to occupational therapists. Penmanship is taking a hit because kids don't have core muscles. Now, I don't want you doing a freaking ab circuit with your (laughs) three-year-old, right? What we need more is big play. This big play that builds core muscles. Wheelbarrow and crab walk are two of the best things you can do for core muscle in your little one. So wheelbarrows, when the kid's like on their hands, yeah, and you pull their feet up and they walk like a wheelbarrow and crab walk, you guys must know crab walk. These things aren't done in kids' gym anymore or kids' recess and playtime, right? Because they're litigious because kids have snapped, you know, there's a danger of of a wrist breaking. There's always danger. And we're going to talk about danger and getting hurt in a minute because that's the other thing, right? We do actually... I don't know. I think it's a current crisis and maybe I'm the only one freaking out about it. But kids, older kids don't know their own bodies, which means they don't know their strength. They don't know their weakness. Did you know tag, the game of tag, like you're it, chase me, is outlawed on most school playgrounds. You can't play tag at recess. That's freaky, you guys, because you know why? Kids don't know how to tag and move on. Because of lack of proprioception and vestibular movement, they're plowing into the other kids, right? If you if you break down the most basic game of tag, you have to like tag the other person and sort of spin on your on your feet and, and run away like you're it. And now you got to get the hell out of dodge, right? So you don't get tagged as well. Kids don't know how to do that. They have no idea where their body is in space and time. And so they're like plowing, they're banging into each other and getting hurt. So they've gotten rid of tag. Don't get me started though. Like instead of improving proprioception and vestibular movement, let's just outlaw it, right? That's kind of bullshit in and of itself. Handwriting, like I said, handwriting's taken a huge hit. It's because of this core, because we're not letting kids do the actual work of childhood, which is play, take risks, make mistakes, fail, 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 try again. This is the work of childhood and it's done through play. It's not done through worksheets. It's not done at a desk. It is not done sitting down. And I am opening a can of worms here because I could go off on this for hours. (laughs) But we are expecting so little capability from our kids in real life. And then we're demanding this academic bullshit that is way, way too early for them. Yeah. I'm not even talking about like trying to get your kids smart. I'm talking about the actual expectation of sitting quietly. I, my head almost blows up now. I'm a homeschooler. And of course I belong to like, you know, homeschooling groups on Facebook and stuff like that. And it, oh my God, I almost explode. People be like, I need a curriculum for my three-year-old or I'm really upset. My three-year-old doesn't know how to write their name. And I, I freak out you guys. I, I almost, it, it makes me angry, but it also makes me so sad and it makes my heart break. Like, yeah, they're three. They're three. They just learned how to run. Why would you make them sit and, you know, crinkle up their hands in the position to write? Of course they're not ready to write. They're three. 
This is like preschool, you guys, which should be play. It's just, it's very, very heartbreaking. Yeah. So we do need to kind of go back to this old school play. And it has to do again with huge risk assessment and letting our kids assess that risk. And that's the tricky part for most of us, right? When we do this, two miraculous things will happen. Of course, we're ditching this crappy ass behavior, right? When we let our kids have this autonomy, this risk-taking, it's miraculous how much better their behavior is, yeah? The other thing that happens is we're literally setting them up to sit and focus later. If we burn them out at three and we they get fidgety and their muscles aren't being formed, then we have this like rampant ADHD diagnosis in second and third grade, right? Don't get me wrong. There's real ADHD, but there's just an overdiagnosis happening because our kids are so fidgety. Why? Because they're not allowed this expression. They're not allowed this exploration. We, and again, I can't, val- I can't overstate risk assessment and allowing your child to start risk assessment on their own. Like all things in parenting, this is a practice and there's no magical age. So we do want to start this younger than most people think. And it, I'm not saying throw your kid to the emergency room wolves. Don't be like, here, here's, here's a bunch of risky shit here. <laughs> Have at it, right? Although I will tell you, if you want to see something very, very interesting, look up the documentary, The Land. So it started in Wales and there are these junkyard playgrounds. And when I say junkyard, I mean junkyard, like scrap metal, rusty nails, wood. There's usually a fire pit. It's usually monitored by an adult, but the adult just hangs back, right? Really doesn't offer anything. And the kids figure shit out on their own. There was this one child who really wanted to burn this certain cardboard and all the other kids were like, you know, no, it makes so much smoke. And the kid was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then he like smoked out the playground. And then they were like, see, we told you. And the kid was like, okay, I'll never do it again. And (laughs) it was just this amazing, these, these playgrounds are about risk assessment and it's about kids managing themselves, not being managed by an adult and learning risk assessment from, you know, a slightly older child. But do yourself a favor and look that up because it will give you some insight as to probably how protective you're being. I don't want your kid just getting hurt, but getting hurt is part of, it is part of taking risks and failure, right? And I think that's what happens is we're not allowing for failure. And as I'm doing this episode, and I know I'm dating it now, but the college scam has just broken open with the, what do you call it? The 50 celebrities that got busted for bribing their kids into college, like, holy fuck, you guys, if that's not helicopter parenting, I don't know what is, right? Like, how damaging is that? Like, those kids, whatever, I know they're super rich, so they're not even, like, in our realm, but how damaging that you can't, just it grosses me out that, like, those kids have no sense of self-esteem, of true self-esteem, right? So we definitely want, we want to encourage this risk assessment for later in life. So what can you do, right? Like you, you're on board with this philosophy. You know, you're like a little overprotective, but you don't know how to step out of this. I think the worst thing that I hear from parents I work with is finding your tribe, right? So it's not so much like you might be on board with this risk assessment, but you hang out or the playground is filled with other parents who are like, no, be careful, be careful. So like you look like the shitty parent, right? It's really hard to 
to do benign neglect when you're at the playground with, you know, super vigilant Karen, who's going to, you know, let you know, <laughs> let you know that you are neglecting your child. Right. I just saw a funny thing. I love I love the idea of Karen being this fictional person who's up in your business. But I just saw a meme that said, you know, sorry, Karen. Sorry. They, <laughs> sorry that all these memes are about you. So, yeah, you kind of have to really search out people who have the same philosophy, right? And I always tell this story because I think we can all be shy and it's hard to make friends as grownups. As moms, it's really hard to make friends. I literally had business cards made up with just my phone number. And when Pascal was little, I'd be at a playground and I'd really, I'd watch the other parents. I'd watch the other moms engage with their kids. And I remember there was this one great mom and her like when nobody was around, she'd let her kid go up the slide. And I was like, that's my people. The people who let their kids go up the slide are my people. By the way, going up the slide, fabulous for core, fabulous for arm strength. We shouldn't even be sliding down slides. We should be climbing up slides. <laughs> but anyway, I was just really brutal. And I'm, I'm a pretty quiet person, believe it or not. And I have introvert ways when I'm not presenting my public persona. But I was brutal about finding people with my philosophy. And so I really, I just went over to this mom and I was like, hey, look, I, I see you engaging with your kids. I see you let your kid go on up the up the slide instead of down the slide. And it seems like maybe we have the same philosophy and hey, you want to hang out? Here's my, here's my card with my phone number. Let me know when you're going to be here next. We ended up being great friends and we're still friends to this day. So you can do that. And I know it, it, I know that's a leap and I know it can be hard if you're shy, but find your people because I love as Pascal has grown, I've found, you know, mom friendships go in and out all the time, but I've consistently found people who believe the same thing that I believe so that when the kids play, we don't have this hovering. We don't have this be careful, be careful. And we can deal with the risk assessment and the mistakes and the failures from the same grounding point. So allow yourself to be really vulnerable and brutal if you see people at the playground or at these mom groups that you think you resonate with. And you get to, you get to choose your tribe, especially now when your kids are little. As your kid gets older, you won't get to choose your tribe because your child will choose their own friendship. So while you have this power, like really choose it. Another thing to do, like physically to do, is think of how you can put obstacles in your child's way. Like how can you challenge them? So we spend our lives really thinking we try to make things too easy, really. And we don't think of how we can challenge. So if you switch your mindset a little into how can I challenge this kid? Because so much of the three and four-year-old crap that you're seeing in behavior, this is because your child's not challenged and they are looking for it. So if you have a kid that is just going up against you every step of the way, if you have a kid who is a boundary pusher, I can guarantee that kid needs more challenge. And for some kids, it might actually be academic. Yeah, they might need that, but set up obstacles. And I, I'm pretty vocal about this, but I love ninja gyms. They're popping up all over the place. They have classes for kids. They're not kid led, but they're super, super great. And these are like America, uh, ninja American warrior gyms. We have one that is amazing. And I watch these freaking three and four year olds just take these risks, but they're good at it. They, they're not, they're not miscalculating their risk. So, um, you want to put obstacles in their way. I want to digress for a second because last year I started obstacle course racing. So endurance obstacle course racing. So what it is, is like nin, uh, American Ninja Warrior outside. 
And so I'll do like, you know, 17 miles up a, a ski mountain in the summertime. And there's these obstacles. So the ones I like are called Spartan races. And, you know, the sim- smaller ones are like Tough Mudder, that kind of thing, right? So there's all these things in your way. And oh my God, you guys, I fell in love with it because I was like, holy shit, there's, there's something about like our lives are too easy. So when these obstacles are put in front of you and you have to like dig deep to get through them, it changes who you are. And I'm, I'm dead serious when I say this was a spiritual thing last summer. It changed my whole being. It changed my whole life because I was like, I have been too soft. It, fake obstacles are the same thing as real obstacles. So now shit happens in my life and I'm like, oh, I just deal with it. Nothing is crippling because I have this obstacle course training. And it occurred to me, I was like, Jesus Christ, we're just being so we're being too soft on our kids and we spend our time making their lives easier when really we should just be throwing some obstacles in their way so that they get this feeling of self-esteem. Self-esteem is built by doing things you thought you couldn't do. This is so important, you guys. You cannot give someone self-esteem. Okay. You certainly can't give them self-esteem by saying, good job. A thousand times a day. If I could eradicate one thing, if I like, you know, the genie showed up with three wishes, one wish would be, let's take good job out of our vocabulary. Okay. There's nothing more meaningless than your empty, good job. Stop saying it. Stop using that voice, right? Give your kid absolute feedback. Good job means nothing. You can say, you know, hey, I noticed that you struggled with that and you got through it. You must feel really proud of yourself. You can say, hey, this artwork looks fabulous. You know, do you feel like it's complete? Do you need to add anything? Would you like to tell me something about it? There are so many other things. Look for very specific and honest feedback, but stop. Good job. It means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My little rant there. But it's really important because parents are so concerned about their kids' self-esteem, but we're creating monsters. We're in cre- creating entitled monsters because we're praising for every little thing. No, it's not a good job that your kid made like a, a scribble on the, on the page. You know, maybe if they're one, that's good. But when they're three, we, and I hear it all the time. It's like, Oh, good job. No, it's not good. Your kid just walked. He walked across the room. <laughs> like, that's, that's just what's going to happen in normal development, right? The next thing I really want you to do is become super, super duper aware of how often you do say, be careful. Really, really, really try to find how often you say that because it's so crazy. A lot of times I do think we're saying it because it's out loud parenting. And I call out loud parenting, this is when we say things because we know people are listening or because we want people to know that we we are engaged. So benign neglect is really hard. Like if you're letting your kid do their own thing at the playground, it's really hard because you're going to get judgy looks. And so you have to sort of present as this person, yes, I'm paying attention, Karen. I'm just like not overbearingly hovering, right? And so we do that. It's it's out loud parenting. I hear it a lot in the uh, in the grocery store aisle with the candy and parents are like, no, no, no. You know we don't have M and M's, and I'm like, yeah, I'm sure your kids had M and M's at one point in time. Right? So it's this out loud parenting, parenting. So anyway, um, Jose from BackwoodsMama.com has this awesome list. It is a list that I've seen circulated on memes. Uh, it's in my book. I got permission from Jose to use it, and I wanna. 
I want to go through it here because I think it's just so freaking amazing. Every time you want to say be careful, you can see it as an opportunity to help your child foster greater awareness in their environment and their bodies. So try saying other things, right? Try saying like, hey, do you see that poison ivy? Do you see that your friends are nearby? Notice how, right? Notice how, hey, notice how those rocks are slippery. Notice how that log is rotten. Notice how that branch is strong. Try using, hey, try using your hands, your feet, your arms, your legs, yeah? Do you feel, do you feel stable on that rock? Do you feel the heat from the fire? Are you feeling, are you feeling scared, excited, tired, safe, right? What can you use? What can you use to to get across that river? What across, you know, for your adventure, what can you use? Where will you put that rock? Where will you climb that tree, dig that hole? So these are, again, you can look this up. I'm just giving a tiny sliver of this list. Then it's from Jose at backwoodsmama.com. But I, I, again, I love it because notice, notice your surroundings, right? Notice, are you stable? So that can help eliminate the be careful. The thing about be careful and good job is they end up just coming out of our mouths. So they also lose power. If you're saying good job for everything, how does your child know when they've really done a a super excellent job? If you're saying be careful all the time, they're going to start tuning you out and they're going to throw themselves at life and take bigger risks, right? Now, speaking of the be careful and playgrounds and risk taking, I just have to, I do have to mention one of my pet peeves. Please do not ever lift your child up on something. So if they want to get up on something, be it a tree branch or the, the tower at the playground, if they can't get to it themselves, they do not have the skill to be there. So stop doing that. Don't lift them up. They need to develop the skill to get up so that they can get down. Now, likewise, do not ever well, not not ever. I mean, you might be in a dangerous situation, but try not to get your child down from things. So your child inevitably will get too high on something and be like, ah, freak out. And you might run over and be like, okay, I got you. No, no, no. Hey, take your foot, put your foot down, walk them through how to get down. Huge, huge self-esteem booster. Your child will be so proud of themselves, but you're also helping them work through risk, anxiety about potential failure about making a mistake. And so this is a vital opportunity to walk them through so they know they can do it. Yeah. Now, of course, we have to talk for a very quick minute about getting hurt because I think, you know, there's the be careful that's empty. And then there is the be careful in the hovering because we're petrified that our kids are going to get hurt. There's a very weird thing happening. We When I was a kid, we all had a cast at some point in time. It was sort of a rite of passage. You got a cast somewhere between second and sixth grade. (laughs) Everybody broke something. You get, you got the fiber, um, the old school cast and you got it signed and it was all very cool and wonderful. (laughs) Now getting hurt is like, it, it like is a badge of like shitty parenting. Like, oh, your kid got hurt. You must not have been watching him. The only injuries I see are like blown ACLs from people who are doing intense sports, which don't get me started on that. Right. So we have to look and say, you know, it's okay to get hurt, you guys. Like, and this is tricky because of course it's, I don't want your kid 
just in the emergency room all the time. But when you make mistakes, you're going to fail and you're going to get hurt. And so we have to shy away from this. We have to not shy away. We have to pull away from this idea that your kid's never going to get hurt or that getting hurt is a marker of your shitty parenting. It's not. When I see a kid in a cast, I'm like, yeah, that's good ass parenting in my opinion. (laughs) Right. So I worked with a couple once and we were we were actually working on potty training and they had mentioned that they wanted their little one to stop sucking her thumb. But then uh, the next session we had, the little one had hurt herself on a peeler. She went to a Montessori school and her hand was, you know, she was peeling an apple and her hand slipped and she cut her thumb with the peeler. Didn't need stitches, but it needed to be bandaged. And it was kind of cool because then she stopped sucking her thumb. Well, the dad was crazy. He was like, you know, they need, they weren't watching her. This is terrible. And I was like, dude, 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 this is amazing. Again, this little one's not ever going to magically know how to use a peeler. I'm freaking 50 years old and at least once a year cut myself with the peeler because my hand slips, because I'm not paying attention, because, you know, I'm not that skilled all the time, (laughs) right? This little one, and the little one was so cool about it. She was like, no, now I know how to use it. Now I know how to use the peeler, daddy. And so he was flipping out because his baby was hurt. He felt like she wasn't supervised. She made a mistake and she got hurt. But you know what? She knows now. She knows now how to use the peeler. What better lesson is that, right? We learn We learn by mistakes. You guys, when I was 17 years old, I didn't know you put oil in a car. I blew up my head gasket on my first car. <laughs> Guess what? I never forget oil now, right? Oil is like the top priority in the car. So we learn and sometimes our mistakes are tragic. Sometimes they're expensive. Sometimes they're like, oh, I don't mean tragic. Like I don't want your kid to die, of course. I mean tragic and like they feel really big. Mistakes happen and we have to we have to come back to that, that it's okay to get hurt. We might have to step in. We might have to intervene, but if mistakes, if your child is truly learning, truly assessing risk and making mistakes, shit is going to happen. Yeah. But I think you'll also be so surprised if you, in this age, three, four and five, when they start gaining these skills and doing their own risk assessment, they are way better at it than we think they are. So let them. Okay. I know it's a, it's hard. So if I'm, I'm going to close out right now for today. But if I had one thing to close with, it's like, chill. We need to chill out, you guys. We need to let children do their work of childhood, which is play. And not just play in the house, not just play quietly. Play outside, have huge risk assessment, take big risks, and you will see so much better behavior because your child will activate their inner pride. They will be so proud of themselves and that makes for better behavior. It also helps have a less entitled, more capable kid as time goes on. All right, I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book presale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.